Welcome to the Mr. TV Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking with the co-creators of Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, Jim Magon and Mark Zasla. We talk about how they were recruited by Deke, writing for scripts a week, and memories from production. So sit back and enjoy. Jim Magon and Mark Zaslov, welcome to the podcast. I will just be with my voice. Okay. This is Mark not speaking to you with Jim's voice. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So like any normal person in, in this world, I was going through your two uh, sort of IMDb credits and I noticed yeah. that you guys have a few shows in common between you like DuckTales and Winnie the Pooh. I was wondering, um, is script writing how, on these shows how you for two first met? Mark, you can straighten me out on this one because I, I get uh, confused being old and daughterly. Um, was I working I remember. On- Okay, go you were, ahead. You were story editing Gummy Bears. Yes. I had just started about eight months before, and I was just about, I was doing some stuff for Marvel and Anna Barbera. And I had sent in a GoBot script to you. Yes. And you said, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I never read one that was funny. And so yeah. you had me do. A script, and you hired me on staff at Disney for uh, the second season of Gummy Bears. There you go. Um, Matthew, that's exactly how it happened. Okay. Okay, I remember distinctly now. How did you two end up getting hired to work together on uh, Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad? We threatened uh, several uh, executives at Deke. No, no. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, I had been working at Deke, and... um, I think they came to me and said something about wanted to do this live action show and they needed it done very fast. And I said, well, you know, I think this is something that would be at least a two man team. And so, uh, Mark, did, did I just tell them to call you or how? Yeah. I I remember being in pretty early on with you Yeah, yeah. and, uh, talking to what's his butt. Um, (laughs) You know what's who was running, bad. who was running Deke at the time, um, and and uh, yeah, and early on, I remember uh, yeah coming in on that and us sort of doing our thing. Matthew, that's exactly how it happened. I remember it distinctly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm going to hear that answer a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um. But one thing that I, I did find online is that, you know, when, when you're talking about um, being hired onto the show, Mark, you told Sci-Fi Wire back in 2018 uh, that you two were both sort of fast and cheap. Uh, could you expand on what you meant by that? Yep. Yeah, Mark is fast and well, I'm well, cheap. Well, Andy, Andy and Deke <laughs> were, were, were interesting at the time because they weren't on the high end of the spectrum uh, as far as payments. But Andy would leave you alone creatively, which was yeah. what was great. He basically would say, get it in on time, get it in on budget. And he wasn't really part of the rest of it. I mean, early on, he might, you know, have put a finger in his stuff. And he certainly was useful in casting and things like that, you know, getting people. But but uh, that was what was fun about it is he basically said, go do it. Matthew, there's I'm, I'm sure there, there, this saying probably pertains to every aspect of business. But at least in animation, you know, there's a there's a, a triangle, and at, at each of the corners uh, is 
is cheap, uh, fast, <clears throat> and good, and you get to pick two of them. You can have it cheap and fast, but it won't be good. <laughs> well, the, the, the good news about Deke was, uh, is that, um, you know, they, they just basically left us alone. And uh, so, you know, they got us cheap and fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because um, when I had spoken to uh, Ken Pontak about Bump in the Night, especially about script writing, it seems like there was uh, no aspect of that where he was left alone when it came to writing that show. Um, so in terms of that for Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, you two were sort of given just total freedom to sort of write the, you know, arc of the show and episodes and, and, and the characters. Uh, yeah, basically Mark and I went into this as a, <clears throat> a full partnership. And so, uh, you know, we said, let's just split this in half and you do half, I'll do half. And then, um, mm -hmm. Mark, because he's faster than I am, probably wrote more scripts than I did. Um, you know, I brought in a few people. I don't know whether Mark brought anyone in. I, I, but, I in looking back at the credits, I, I think for sure I, I at least brought one person in, uh, and that would be Jeremy, because I recognize right. his non de plume. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that was about it. But the fun part was is we'd go to a restaurant at the beginning of a week, <laughs> and we'd 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 each come in with a bunch of premise ideas, and then we'd edit each other's premise ideas, and then we'd go off and write the scripts to each per week. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. And we'd be on set while they were shooting. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it was, it was this great, crazy, speedy thing. Oh, and we had to use found footage because of the grid man footage. You know, they weren't going to shoot that. So we had to work all of that in and into the script. So and, and, yeah, and I, it was... Mark's right on with that is that, um, dare I say it, <clears throat> there was this tremendous hit coming out of Saban called the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to get into the politics of of uh, Haim Saban and, and uh, Andy Hayward, but um, I think Andy felt like, well, if they can do it, we can do it. And he went out and got his hands on this show called Gridman. was it mark like 35 episodes or something that sounds and, about right because i remember I had to reuse stuff <laughs> yeah so what we would do is we would we would split up these tapes and go home and watch them and and say uh and and all we could use was the fight footage uh of of grid man and, and some you know technological monster and uh so you know, after we went through them and used them all up, <laughs> then it became a question of, well, what if we flop the picture? Maybe it'll look different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, just like flip it, like just do yeah, a mirror yeah, image. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, and we eventually got how many were there, Mark? Fifty-two. It sounds about right around there. 
I'm right. not exactly sure. 53, so, I think. Yeah, well, they did 52, and then they tore down the set and told everyone to go home and don't ever call <laughs> us again. And then Mark and I got a call, oh, I don't know, months later, and for some reason they needed one more episode. I don't mm -hmm. know why. And they said, well, we don't have any sets. So <laughs> Mark and I <laughs> said, hey, I bet we can shoot this thing outdoors, you know, with... <laughs> with the cast in the woods. And so we went over to Griffith Park to do that 53rd episode. Do you remember that, Mark? Uh, it's a complete blank to me. I mean, that's it sounds familiar, but I don't remember it that's at ex all. That's exactly how it happened. I remember it distinctly. <laughs> um, but it was, oh, go, keep going, Jim. No, no, no. It, it, no, it was just so odd because we didn't have any sets. We didn't have any props. We had nothing. <laughs> Come on, Ted. You can't be mad at that. I'm not mad. I just don't understand why Sam couldn't come along. Because he got a chance to do a science project with Jennifer. What was it? The increase in the tactile sense caused by the absence of vision? Ooh, blindfolds and touchy feelings. Yeah, well, they should have joined our sunspot activity group. I mean, he could be out here in the great outdoors all hot and itchy and sore. And he wants to go off by himself with Jennifer. That was the fun of the show is is because mm -hmm. we had found footage, we had to come up with a an idea for the show that that said, OK, why found footage? And it was like, well, they go into this world, you know, this electronic world. And so that's how you do that, you know, and then the 53rd one is we have nothing. OK, <laughs> let's go shoot outside and figure out a way to make it work. I mean, it's like. Not as good as Shakespeare on his and his sonnets, but the structure of a sonnet harmed Shakespeare. You know, it, it brought out interesting creative choices. And I always liked this show for the fact that, you know, if an actor couldn't do something, we'd jam them into a locker. Yep. <laughs> you know? it's so that we could shoot around them. You know, uh, it, it's just it was fun. Matthew, I, I need to explain this because um, it, sure. it may not make it may not make sense to you, but we were basically in one studio, mm -hmm. and in that studio, off in the corner was like a small wardrobe department, and there was a closet where um, uh, Malcolm Frank would sit with his computer and talk to KiloCon, and yeah. then there was there was you know Matthew Lawrence's basement. And then there was a school set. Now, all of these were right next to each other. So, uh, you know, we, we had these lockers and we had some trash cans and we had a stage, and, you know, and we were just trying to figure out, well, what could we do? How can we how can we do something uh, cybernetically, you know, so to speak? Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> we got we got so bored that at one point we we uh, invented a little sister for Sam Collins. Oh, uh, who, okay. Who would shout down uh, the uh, clothes shoot uh, from upstairs, you know. Mark, who was that? Was that Kath Suset or who was it? I think maybe that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah probably was Kath. So the, the gag was always, you know, Sam, can you come over here? He'd walk over and she would drop, you know, putting on his head or whatever you know and we had to be very careful because matthew was very particular about his hair oh okay. we, we, we couldn't you know we couldn't color it we couldn't shave it we couldn't you know 
So um, we had to be careful if we ever stuffed him into a garbage can that his hair didn't get uh, messed mm -hmm. up. Well, um, something that we had talked to G about, because we, we had a conversation with him uh, previous to this as well, is that, you know, you're yeah. talking about like writing two scripts a week or four scripts a week. Um, yes. Like these sort of, you know, you know, quick shoots, things like that, like because frenetically paced, freedom, all that sort of stuff. Did that create sort of um, a, uh, a good energy when it came to creating the show? Or did it sort of make you guys end up sort of pulling your hair out, sort of working on this? What kind of a feeling did it create? Well, usually on a series, you know, you have like a, a honeymoon period where hey, let's just do this. Okay, yay, we're having fun. And then, you know, usually about three or four weeks in, then it, all the problems start to crop up. And then you've mm -hmm. got to go back and reshoot and rewrite and blah, 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 blah. But the, fortunately for us, you know, working with Deke is that they didn't goof around. And I remember at one point, uh, Mark, do you remember any of this? There was a problem. We wanted to have them be in a in a band or something. Do you remember this? I remember the band. What was the problem? Well, M Matthew refused to do anything with a band because he was signed to some label or oh, something. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah. So we sat down and what was it, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, we figured out a whole new format for the show. And I can remember, uh, you know, Andy and Robbie both nodded, said, okay, yeah, let's do that. And I turned to Mark afterward and I said, you know, if we were at Disney, this would be going <laughs> on for another five months trying to figure right. this out. You know, the nice thing about Deke was is that they had a very low PETA factor and PETA uh, is, stands for P-I-T-A, pain in the ass, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they So... They weren't a pain at all, you know. They would just say, "Yeah, okay, go, go, do it," and that was it. We went and did it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and series, especially live action series, even more so than animation. There's a physical toll, and so mm -hmm. that the, it's not even just the problems after a while, but it just gets tiring shooting yeah. week in and week out. And and that's just a live action thing, uh, more than anything. So you keep trying to do things that keep not only do good scripts, but keep people entertained even on the set. Right. Uh, like Jim is a huge Beatles fan. I am a Beatles fan. Jim is a huge Beatles fan. So <laughs> at some point, just for our own purposes, we just started dropping Beatles references right. uh, into all the scripts. And it was just, it didn't get in the way. It wasn't, I mean, I've seen some scripts where people do where suddenly their own fetish becomes the, the <laughs> series. But ours was just, you know, if there is a chance to put a weird line in or, or call something, you know, a title of a show, something mm -hmm. uh, we do that, but it's just, and for the actors, the same thing. You, you'd keep trying to find situations that would entertain them or destroy them. Yeah. We had a few people. I mean, we, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Diana Bellamy was wonderful. And yeah, we'd she was the put uh, her in weird. We'd have her do the weirdest thing, and such a pro. I mean, yeah, she she, keep the she glue was together. the uh, she was the lunch lady. So go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, but she'd keep things moving and and be super professional, um, you know. And so we'd do fun things with her, uh, you know, and that would brighten up the set at times, you know, and be funny. 
and 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 poor Glenn, we'd just torture. Torture him. <laughs> yeah, we'd hang him upside down. We'd put him in a wetsuit. I mean, I feel for the guy, but it was like, all right, it's gonna work, you know. And he'd be like, can, can I not do that? It's like. But he was a good sport about all that. And, mm-hmm. and I think he was one of the more memorable characters because of it. Odd. An obsolete version of human software. Why has she not been upgraded? I'll upgrade you upside your head, Bucky. I'm like a fine wine. I get better with age. So if you want to live to see college, watch who you're calling obsolete. Impudent program! I will degauss you from my sight! Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Starkey. We're practicing for a play. Much ado about modems. Uh. You know, the the good thing, too, is, is that we were working at such a pace that um, we knew uh, Mark had to do two scripts a week. I had to do two scripts a week. And then at some point they would bring in the director, which was Brad Kreisberg, and he would direct five episodes a week. Mm-hmm. So we were always trying to stay ahead of his schedule. <laughs> and so what would happen is, you know, we would write these scripts, we'd turn them in, uh, usually, you know, like 15 minutes before uh, the read-through, and we would just, like, read through the scripts with some of the uh, Deke executives, and they would say, I don't get this joke, or what does this mean? And we would fiddle with it. But basically, what we wrote ended up on, on the screen. Yeah. You know, and Not it, always a good thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> but and the other thing, was fun. Oh, I just want to go back. I, wanna, I just want to back up a step. Yes, we did Beatle references. Uh, not, nothing, you know, obnoxious. But there was uh, a group that caught on to what we were doing. And they made a drinking game. That every time you heard a Beatle reference, you had to uh, take a drink. So now these were not children; these were college students. So yes. before anybody gets mistaken, yeah, no, idea, they were not children. Not exactly yeah, underage <laughs> drinking. And uh, speaking right. of of uh, uh, the lunch lady, you know, she she was a great sport. She was a professional, and we called her Mrs. Starkey, which of course is <laughs> is, is Ringo's uh, real name, Richard Starkey, and so. She would, you know, she would be give these smart ass answers to to the kids when they were in line for food and stuff. And when we got near the end of the series, which is the worst time to find out something's not working, uh, they said all of our shows are like two minutes short. It's like, (laughs) what? What are you talking about? You know, so we would go back through and look at the scripts and go, I don't know. How do we find two minutes to add to this that doesn't, you know, interfere with what we've already done? Well, the easiest thing was to have <laughs> to have Mrs. Starkey on the phone in the lunch line, you know, talking to what was supposedly her son, who we named okay. Richard, Richard Starkey. And she would just ramble on about, you know, raves she'd been to and, and motorcycles <laughs> she had ridden on and stuff. It was just crazy. And she was a trooper. She went through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it, was, it was great. In fact, in fact, she wore this hairnet all the time because she was the lunch lady. And she cut it up and framed it. And she gave half of it to Mark and half to me. I don't know where <laughs> it is, but I still have it somewhere uh, of this, uh, you know, hairnet. <laughs> 
I, I think a really memorable one that she talked about and, and kind of a, a interstitial with her is she mentioned uh, being part of a circus and being in, I think, sort of like a, a motorcycle kind of Thunderdome style thing where she would drive around <laughs> it or something like that with a tiger yeah. inside. I vaguely um, remember that, yeah. <laughs> Can I convince you to do a cheer or lip sync a song or something? Uh, no, Daddy, now stop. I'll do something. Uh, that's nice, Mrs. Starkey, but unfortunately, this is a student production. Aw, oh, fooey, and I had my motorcycle tuned up and everything. Motorcycle? Well, I rev up my bike, see? And then I put this lion in the sidecar, and I do loop-de-loops around this huge steel cage I welded together. Uh, you're joking, right? Well, yes. It's actually a tiger, not a lion. <laughs> well, gotta get back to work. Um, so, I mean, you know, speaking of the cast uh, and talking about, you know, some of the people that you'd work with, I, I was wondering if we can kind of take a few steps back in, in terms of how these shows and how the production works and, and talk a bit about how, you know, co-creators as you are and, and sort of the show's writers, how do you interact with the, the cast on set versus someone like Brad, who we had mentioned before? Actually, everybody was pretty easygoing. Um... You know, we would we would try things. Now you got to remember, Mark and I were coming from an animation background. Not mm-hmm. me. <laughs> I'm not going to even say what Mark was doing before animation. No, no, no. But I'm saying I I I started in live action. Quickly went over to animation where the money was. So <laughs> I I was kind of used to it on one small level. So so what we what we would do is, you know, we would go in and say we want to do this, this, and this, and the cast would kind of shrug, okay, we'll do this. And um I I remember we did a talent show once and it was like I I need you to sit like this and swing your legs like this and and everybody thought, oh, this sounds stupid. And it turned out to actually be kind of a cute skit. But the the point of it was is that you know, we would write it, we would read through it. And the next thing they're in there, they're shooting it, you know, and Brad was Brad was pretty easygoing. Um, You know, he worked very quickly. And of course, everything we did had to be done inside the stage. So I don't know. I remember us getting along with the cast. I, I, I don't think Mark and I spent a lot of time with Matthew because not only was he the star of the show, but he was also underage. <laughs> and if right. I'm not mistaken, when we started the show, he was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And he, he was schooling. Yeah, <laughs> he was going to school. And I remember we we set up this uh, love interest for him with Jennifer. And it's like, oh, they're sitting in the back seat of a car at a movie and they they kiss. Well, I don't think it occurred to me there was something weird. I don't know if it occurred to Mark, but I think for Matthew, it was like, this girl's like, you know, 18, 19 years old, and I'm 14. What is going on here? You know? Ah, the 90s. Ah, the 90s. Sam? Yeah? You know what I want more than anything else in the whole world right now? What? An ice cream cone. Ice cream cone? Mm-hmm. Right. I'll just uh, go and get it. Go to the snack bar. Right back. Vanilla. Okay. If you hurry back, I'll give you a lick. Count on it. Okay. There's the truck, Lieutenant. 
one cast member who we haven't talked about yet, and probably maybe one of the most well-known of the bunch, is uh, Tim Curry. And he ended yes. up playing the voice of Kilocon, the antagonist yeah. of the show. I mean, what was it like to work with Curry on the role? You know, how how did that work? <laughs> Can I? Yeah, please go I, ahead. I, I I was an advocate of bringing Tim in all the way back to Tailspin when he did one of his first voices. I I was a big fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen the original before it was released because a friend of mine's mom worked for I think it was Sony. Um, so we came in on Tailspin. I actually used him on a lot of shows during that time because I just liked him. And this was another show. I used him on Mighty Max as my main villain. Um, I, I used him later on some other stuff. So it was just uh, he's just such a spectacularly wonderful actor. You know, he can give you those broad, you know, almost uh, theatrical. Well, really are theatrical types of takes so it was kind of like why not why not use him at least that's how i kind of recall yeah and, and again mark I, I don't remember this but in the whole time that we did the series i don't i don't remember ever seeing him once i, no. I don't know whether he came in and recorded like at midnight or something but, but i think he was just in a studio wasn't he uh, in a little wherever Oh, possibly. I, I, I never remember. saw him. Yeah. But it was Mark that, that came up with the idea that Kilocon, who, of course, is a, a, a digital character, would think of humans as being, what did you call them, meat things? I, I Again, I, meat puppets. so long ago. Yeah. Meat puppets? I don't know. That sounds about right. Isn't so, that how we all are? Yeah, we are. If you're so all-powerful, why can't you handle this servo slot? He's got you by the motherboard, huh? <laughs> Silence! I've destroyed whole mainframes for less, you insignificant meat thing. Tim is is a joy to work with. I think I worked with him on three different shows, and I, I, I got a chance to chat with him, and I said, what was it like? <laughs> this is a horrible story. I, I said, what was it like working with Sean Connery on... Oh, on I remember uh, that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> on um oh what was that called red uh, hunt, for, hunt for red october. hunt for red october yeah and he said he said uh it, it was fine it's just that he was sean connery and nobody else was <laughs> and so he would come in and we'd have the whole shooting schedule set up for the day and he'd walk in and he'd say um i'm supposed to be golfing at two o'clock let's do all my <laughs> stuff first and they, he would just turn the schedule on its head and they'd all go okay <laughs> oh my god <laughs> well two things he he did a spot on connery by the way yeah he did. and it was it was lord connery <laughs> yeah exactly. but anyway um yeah T- tim was a great guy Awesome. I, I mean, one thing that I, I wanted to follow up on uh, from our interview with G was that he said that, you know, in the auditioning process to playing Malcolm Frank's character, the ask was pretty much playing a uh, miniature Tim Curry. That was kind of the <laughs> ask for for his character. And um, I was just wondering, uh, do you happen to recall anything about, you know, G's audition with you two? Uh, anything about, you know, why he got the role? I don't remember being involved with the casting. Mark, do you? Uh, I don't think so, unless it was later when we needed an extra thing. I, I think we were kind of given everybody. 
Yeah, okay. I know it was built around Matthew because he had done Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that that was a big get. That's an interesting point because I, I was wondering about that when it comes to, you know, co-creatorship and, and your role. So you were you two really weren't that involved in the casting process. Is that sort of a, a, a bit different from what, you know, co-creators of a show would normally experience? It's different, but because of the nature of it, where it's kind of a package situation. Yeah. You know, it was created for a reason to go up against another show. It was done yeah. on a certain budget. You know, it was like Andy and them at Deke were sort of saying, we need this kind of a name. We got this. We got Matthew. Now let's go, you know, cast and stuff like that. Normally, yeah, we would. But we weren't so much show creators as show enablers. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We had to go to AA afterward. It was horrible. Um, No, (laughs) no, we were brought in because we were fast. So, Hmm. Yeah, it's it's in the same way that TV directors are are not like movie directors, you know, the you know, the auteurs. They're really just they're 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 doing mechanics a lot of the time. I mean, you can rise above it a little. In a weird way, we were sort of that too. Even though we came up with the idea of the thing, we were not like most showrunners who create a a show, come in, sell the show, cast the show, that kind of a thing. We had a lot of creative control, but some of the areas, not so much. Like, right. we could only have four sets. <laughs> um, one other cast member I had a question about was uh, Choice Latin, who played uh, Amp on the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know he has a career in, in law now, so he's, he's, he's gone on to do some, some interesting sort of stuff. But I, I noticed that, you know, he left the show at one point and he was replaced by Rembrandt Sabellis, who, you know, passed away in 2016. Um, so do you know what happened why, you know, Slatten decided to leave the show? Gosh, I I don't remember. I, you know, I, I, my impression was that he got a gig somewhere and yeah, that it that was, was a better gig, show. you know. I guess the, the question I have there with that is, you know, oftentimes you have, you know, shows where they kind of make a joke of, you know, the new wacky character kind of coming in. And uh, Rembrandt's character was kind of like that. He was kind of like the the poochie of the show a little bit from Simpsons. Uh, he shows up with like long hair and like he's like, oh, I'm a surfer and stuff like that. I mean, but the question is, is that when you do replace a character like that, uh, an integral character, you know, how does that change the dynamic of the show for you two as the writers? <laughs> well, the truth is, I think we'd already written scripts for Amp and he left. And we said, we need someone just like him. Right. (laughs) So it became a surfer, basically, you know. I think that was due to Airborne, the movie Airborne. Oh, no, what happened? No, we liked that movie. And I think to a certain extent, we were like, isn't that guy? Okay, we kind of do a little bit like that, too. We could (laughs) be a surfer, but... (laughs) That's right. It was. It, that's right. It was about a California surfer who moves to where was it, Cleveland or somewhere? Somewhere. Um, yeah. Mitchell's life was a California dream <laughs> until he woke up in Cincinnati. Yeah, it was definitely make it different enough so you can differentiate, but still has to fill the role, like you said. Yeah. That you know, sort of comedic relief kind of thing. Um, something I want to get into uh, as well is the sort of reaction, public reaction to the show. I, I know that we talked a bit before about, you know, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and, 
you know, uh, Deke and, you know, Ham Saban, we won't probably get into that. But I mean, what was the public reaction to the show um, that you two noticed uh, at the time when it came out? That's exactly how it happened. I remember it distinctly. <laughs> um, no, honestly, I, I, I can't tell you because, Mark, did you watch the show? I never watch anything I've worked on. Yeah, see? What? Ever. Okay. Yeah. I have, I have no idea what it did, how it did. I just remember it was fun to do. Yeah. And uh, so I, I really, I couldn't tell you. I, I just, I don't keep track of stuff like that. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Well, what's the well, saying? There, I, I, there's I, no I joy in writing. Mistakes. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'd of course. Everything that was wrong. I never want to look at anything that's done. Because <laughs> it's just like, oh, why did I do that? Oh, why did they screw that up? Uh, you know, it's, oh, it make me crazy. Well, um, I think at some point, Mark didn't, uh, there was some mess up at, at one of the networks. And they, they were doing something with... Uh, uh, shoot, I can't remember now, but it was a, a CG show and they were having trouble making their uh, schedule. And so they went to Deke and said, do you have anything? And, and they said, yeah, we've got Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, which actually ended up on Saturday morning TV for about a month. Do you remember mm -hmm. any of this? <laughs> and it was like, I, I oh, look at us, something. we're on TV. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, but no, I have no idea if anybody watched it or not, except to hear about the drinking game from yeah. like University of Oregon or Washington or something like that, yeah. which was one of my proudest moments. It was. <laughs> um, one thing I should have probably brought up a lot earlier in this in this interview, I'm probably going to slot it back a lot earlier than this is. So where did the Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad name come from? <laughs> Um, let's just say that yeah. a lot of decisions get made, uh, before the show is actually written, cast, produced or anything. And I, I think, I think it was something that perhaps Andy came up with. Why okay. and how I, I don't know, but superhuman samurai cyber squad, S S S S, which coincidentally, uh, now that Gridman has been you know, resurrected, the guy in charge of that just said, we're going to call it SSSS Gridman. <laughs> so that, that's that's the little tribute that he's doing to superhuman samurai cyber squad. <laughs> it still takes me a while to figure out the name. Sorry, please, man. Yeah, there's a bunch of S's or something in there. It's, it's good alliteration. Definitely good alliteration. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it doesn't work like uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> right. Anyway. Um, so we had talked a bit about, you know, Take a Hike, which was the final episode of the show, which was shot in a park yes. uh, after all yes. the sets have been sort of torn down. Um, but I was wondering, you know, um, when those sets were torn down, how did the end of the show come about? That's the last episode. Bye. So <laughs> is no, that, no, it, it was, was that perfunctory or... No, there was. They didn't ask us to wrap anything up. I don't remember it that way. We just, you know, there's the, there's the script. Bye. Um, go ahead. Yeah, it's it was less prevalent back then that you'd get a chance to end a series. Like nowadays, you can't help but do it. 
but back then you just, you know, even if you're doing 52, there may be room for some more, you know, it's not like Seinfeld or, you know, it's not like something where you go, okay, this is it. We're done. We're, we're going to have a final episode. Um, now, nowadays, again, like I said, way more prevalent, but even so in a lot of kids stuff, it's, it's supposed to be perennial. So that if you dip in, you don't really know where you are necessarily. I mean, they have <laughs> arcs and stuff, but even so, you can mix them up and match them. So, so not a lot of call for a final episode most of the time. Right. I mean, I, we had spoken to G, and he mentioned that there was a bunch of stuff already shot for, uh, I guess, a continuation of the series. Um, do you guys happen to remember what was sort of the plan going forward? Had the show kept going? <laughs> Um, we'd run out of footage. Right. And we'd flopped everything we could do. Uh, it, it got difficult to, to figure out what what other devices could KiloCon, you know, get inside of and ruin. Uh, because there's there's only so many elect, electronic devices, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like, uh, what about baking a pie? Yeah, I suppose the oven could have some electronics that, uh, you know, it just, it got difficult after a point. <laughs> now, if, if if Glenn said that there were um, things that they shot, I'm not aware of it because basically what we wrote, they shot and that was it. So I don't know if somebody went in and said, hey, you stand on your head. You know, I, I'm not aware of that. Right. And uh, Mark, are you aware of any of that sort of uh, plans going forward with the show? Not that I recall. Um, I mean, it seemed like it was supposed to be a 52 episode package. Yeah. Uh, now, right. to, to, to be fair, to be fair, um, they did approach us to come up with an idea for a sequel. Mm -hmm. And it was called, I don't know. She's the cyber knuckleheads or something. And uh, and I remember uh, we briefly developed something for them, but it never got picked up or, or produced. Right. Was that like directly after the end of the show or was that a yeah, few yeah. years after? OK, no, no, no. It was it was, you know, within months of the show ending. I mean, at least for the final episode of the show, it seems like, you know, uh, Kevin Castro's character was sort of being set up as the new servo. And, you know, there's there's a bunch of stuff um, that was sort of being set up for a continuation. But yeah. I guess um, when it comes to the show itself, like Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, and I mean, a podcast like mine where I'm talking to you guys about it, you know, how many years later, are you still surprised that people remember the show or, you know, have <laughs> sort of nostalgic feelings towards it? Um, certainly not Mark and I. Uh, we don't feel anything. No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm shocked when anybody knows anything about it because I don't know anyone that watched it, so... It's always a surprise. But I, I'm always astounded when anybody watches anything I do. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm so disconnected after it's done that it's always wonderful that people watched it in the first place and that anybody thinks of anything fondly is, is icing. Uh, it always astounds me. This, this is no different from the others that I've worked on. I still feel the same way. Someone comes up and goes, oh, I loved you or whatever. And they remember the episodes and I'm yeah. like, thank you. I, I appreciate <laughs> all of that. I, I, 
you know, because it's it's not like live theater. It's not like an athletic. I mean, you have no clue yeah. that there are people out there unless you interact with them at some point later. And that doesn't always happen. So this is wonderful. I mean, I, I, I it's great here. I'm going to go on camera for two seconds because I have something here <laughs> and you guys can see it. You can see me. Hello. That's me. Hello. So I have these. <laughs> So these are my VHS copies of Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. And the tape has been worn down so badly on these <laughs> that they're basically unwatchable at this point. So if I put them into a VHS player, you won't be able to see basically anything. The audio is all distorted. And that's just how much me and my brothers kind of watched the show. So wow. I guess it's interesting to hear about, you know, you two talking about the show and how, you know, it, it kind of ended in such like a like a sort of you know as you mentioned these perennial tv shows and it just sort of ended and yet it's left such an indelible mark on my brain uh-huh <laughs> but it's also interesting to hear from the 2020 perspective going back and looking at the show's production and learning a bit about you know what it was like to be on the set and what it was like to actually create the show so i, I find that an interesting legacy where you have people like me who have like this you know, chunk of my brain that's all superhuman samurai cyber squad that's in there. So, yeah. Well, I uh, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, I, I think that's the point of try, regardless of the circumstances, trying to do as good a job as you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not Lawrence of Arabia ever. It has Lawrence in it, though. Pardon? <laughs> it does have Lawrence yeah. in it. True, true. Um, but I think it's an, it, you can't shirk your duty as a creator because people are hopefully going to watch it and hopefully it'll mean something to them. So I, I, as much as I separate myself from the finished product, while I'm doing it, I'm always doing, how do I make it better? And I know mm -hmm. Jim probably does the same thing because people do, you want people to like it. It's not just like, oh, it's a paycheck. At least I'd go into real estate or big pharmacology or something if I wanted to just make money. So I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful and, I, and I'm happy that, that you all liked it, uh, you know, and it meant something because we, no, we absolutely. tried. Absolutely, <laughs> because I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I, I saw this episode of whatever, Goof Troop or whatever, and it's a, it had such an impact on me. And I thought... I'm glad because that was a horrible episode, you know, <laughs> but Mark's right is that you tr you're trying to do your best because, well, my wife and I uh, both do like local theater. My wife is the uh, drama teacher at a local high school and she tells her class this all the time. She says to them, you are always, always auditioning. And they look at her like she's nuts. And it's like, Everything you do, everything you say, everything you interact with your friends is going to get back to someone, you know, either positively or negatively. And and I think in the case of what Mark and I do is that, you know, if we're, we're doing entertaining scripts and we're doing them quickly, um, you know, the way you, you keep working in this business as a freelancer is you find someone who's your champion, you know, and says, oh, these guys are good. They just did this series. Let's we have another series cut up, but let's have them do that one. You know, it's it's just it, basically you're always auditioning, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, were there any sort of 
final thoughts you wanted to share about Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad and the show's sort of legacy? Well, I know I know this show means a lot to Mark. The first thing he said was, I don't remember that show. <laughs> so that that was encouraging. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, I do remember that, you know, it was nice that they got hold of Matthew Lawrence and brought him in and he was the star and, and, and everything. Um, but um, uh, I didn't have a crush on Matthew Lawrence at all. I just I want to put that out on the record right now. I, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, actually, the funny thing is, is that because Matthew was was uh, still in high school, uh, you know, his mom would show up, sometimes bring along his older brother, Joey, mm-hmm. uh, who was in a goofy movie uh, years later, uh, a, show, uh, a movie that I wrote. And they'd show up and it's like it's five o'clock and they drag him off the set. You know, it's like, oh, OK, bye. <laughs> you know, oh, he's the star. He's left. Okay, bye. So you know, you you start to learn the dynamics of people that that will work with you or won't work with you, kind of thing. And I think my my fondest memory is is I love being on set. Ever since the first time I was ever on set on anything, and when I first time I directed something and everything, I just probably in a previous life I did a lot of work or something, but it's. It's like home to me. And I mm. just remember we'd be shooting a show and I'd behind, be behind one of the back walls on the opposite side because we'd shoot one side, then the other side, then one because you could set up while the other side is shooting. And I'd be back there on a, a laptop working away until someone goes, we need someone, to, we need a writer, you know, or what do you think of this? And then I <laughs> trundle out. And I just, that was like, if I could live on set and write on set all the time. And so that was... That was just so much fun for me. That That's my favorite stuff about that series is just being able to live on set a lot and work on set. Uh, so for me, that was that was really very cool. Well, uh, with that, uh, Jim and Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Our joy. And uh, yeah, thanks for remembering this show. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode. But until then, be a couch potato and stay safe.